as an undergraduate, I had no idea that physicists used programming in their day-to-day -day work. I had this image of, you know, Einstein and Maxwell locked in a room, uh, writing on a blackboard and pen and paper with their assistant, bringing them tea sometimes. We had videos teaching us physics that actually depicted this. So that was the image I had. Welcome back to Relatively Certain, a science podcast straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm Dina Genkina, and today we'll talk about something you don't usually imagine Maxwell or Einstein doing, writing computer code. And we'll see how a passion for coding has driven my colleague and roommate Chris to create a tool that powers physics experiments around the world. Uh, so I'm Dr. Chris Billington. Uh, I'm a postdoc here at the Joint Quantum Institute working with Ian Spielman. A little context. I live in a house with Chris and five other graduate students and postdocs. We call ourselves IHOP, the International House of Physicists. Sometimes we make pancakes too. Over the years, I watched Chris excuse himself from parties early, stay up to all hours of the night, and sit in the living room early on a Sunday morning with his laptop, all to work on his software project, LabScript. As someone who struggles to summon the will to make a coffee on a Sunday morning, I find his obsession both admirable and a bit perplexing. So I sat down with him at a more amenable time of day to get him to explain his passion project. Okay. Okay. Oh, skip, so the, skip the sir. Yeah. By day, Chris is an experimental physicist. He uses laser beams to slow down atoms and make them dance to his tune. But I wanted to hear about his other talent, the one that keeps him up late and gets him out of bed early. He's an expert programmer, adept at the art of telling a computer what to do. When you're writing computer code, it's kind of like a recipe. You're saying, do this, repeat this, change this. And programming languages have evolved over time to make this easy. They are designed for exactly this task. And that is what an experiment in physics is. It's a recipe for producing and measuring uh, the system that you're studying. Underneath the websites and apps you use every day is computer code. Step-by-step -step instructions like a script for a movie or a play or a podcast, written in the language a computer understands. Physicists actually use programming all the time to analyze data, run simulations, or control their experiments. And they have for more or less as long as programming has existed. But along with many other unsuspecting young physicists, Chris was blissfully unaware of this heavy reliance on code until well into his physics training. Uh, and then I actually did a research project and it involved a lot of programming and I realized how powerful it was. Some of my friends all sort of caught the programming bug at the same time and we were all trying to make a little simulation of some balls bouncing off each other and everyone was very enthusiastic about being able to do this. One person would say, well, my balls in my simulation they don't just bounce at right angles they can bounce at the correct angles and then uh, one person's would be more accurate or one would have 3d spheres bouncing off each other or something like that and everyone was trying to one-up each other over the next few years chris became a programming enthusiast or perhaps more accurately a programming addict by the time he joined an experimental physics lab in his hometown of melbourne australia he was looking for any excuse he could find to program so everyone was choosing what tools they were going to use and we needed control software to control all the devices that would turn on and off the lasers and 
control the magnetic fields and everything like that in the experiment. Now, there were existing software systems to do this, and we, we tried one out and it worked, but this is back when uh, we were all very enthusiastic and in particular, I was looking for excuses to, to use programming to solve more problems. One piece of software reigns supreme in atomic physics labs, LabVIEW. LabVIEW has an interactive interface where you drag different boxes onto the screen and connect them with wires. It was created by National Instruments, a company that also makes a lot of the gadgets used in physics labs. And it's specifically designed for those gadgets, making it a natural choice for many labs. But Chris and his lab mates were itching to toy around with something that more closely resembled a script. And there was a tentative idea floating around some papers that one of my advisors had been looking at, which was saying, wouldn't it be nice if there was a software control system where you wrote your experiment like code, where your experiment was a script that you could edit as if it was code and you could use all the same workflows and tools that programmers use to develop software to develop your experiment. You could share it with other people. You could store common functions that you use repeatedly. You could benefit from abstraction and reuse and all these, all these nice things. And so we thought, well, why don't we have a go at implementing that? And they got to work using a very popular programming language called Python. This was about 10 years ago now. And today, Python is one of the most popular programming languages. It was already popular back then, but it's even more so now, especially in science. I think that was the right call. And I think it's still the language I would recommend someone new to programming would pick up today. There's a lot of help available online. There's a great community. It's free, it's open source, it's everywhere. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Armed with the power of a programming language, apparently used by everyone and their great aunt, Chris and his collaborators could take advantage of a lot of the nifty tools made by other passionate coders. They could easily reuse bits of code, track changes, and share and collaborate on the project. Originally, our control system was kind of a hybrid where we wrote code in Python, it generated lists of instructions, and then a LabVIEW program would read those instructions and program them into the hardware. And there was a way of doing that in Python, but... But not everyone in the lab was as confident and enthusiastic as Chris about replacing the entirety of the lab control system. We faced a bit of pushback from our advisors saying, no, no, LabVIEW is the right choice, let's keep doing things this way. And one of our advisors took a vacation, and uh, during that time, we made a prototype of a program that could do the same thing as what we were doing in LabVIEW, except in Python. And by the time our advisor came back, this program was functioning and we were using it in one of the labs. And so this was kind of a bit of a, a, bit of a software mutiny. They named their new tool LabScript a nod to their experiment a script philosophy and the elephant in the room. Luckily, Chris's advisor quickly saw the benefits of this new tool and has now even become a bit of a lab script evangelist, spreading the gospel to new labs around the world. In the years that followed, not only Chris's lab in Australia, but five different labs here at the University of Maryland and at least 29 other labs around the world have switched over to LabScript as their main experimental control tool. Chris attributes this success in part to the natural match between scripting and orchestrating experiments, but also to LabScript being free and open source, meaning that anyone can dig around in its source code, the guts of the project that make the software do its thing. 
free software is software that you have rights with that you are allowed to run the software for any purpose that you like. You're allowed to understand the software and that means you can access its source code and you can modify it and you can share those modifications with other people. So any software where you have those rights is called free software. And uh, the term free here is free as in freedom, as they like to say, as opposed to free as in beer. This might sound somewhat hippy-dippy and idealistic, and for the diehards, it is. But there are some practical benefits to making your source code available, even if you don't buy into the ideology. For one, once an open source solution for something exists, everyone can use it. There's never a need to reinvent the wheel, even if hobbyist programmers are doing it all the time. So I think open source is a real practical benefit. It's a really good way to run things when you have people building on other work. Whenever there's sort of these, these really strong benefits to standing on the shoulders of giants, like in science. All kinds of open source projects have become so successful that you've probably even used them without knowing it. Android phones and e-readers like the Kindle run on open source operating systems, as do most of the machines that serve up pages on the internet. Perhaps the main strength of open source projects is that they benefit from large-scale, unencumbered collaboration. People all over the world can work together towards the same goal, fostering a community of sorts around their shared work. That's what happened with LabScript, and it was not only helpful for the success of the project, but apparently also kind of fun. I really enjoy interacting with uh, other people who are contributing to this project. We've built up this community around it now, people contributing changes, people that we don't know, we've never met. The growth of the community is, uh, is something that I'm proud of, even though it's difficult to say, you know, I've, I've managed it as it's happened, but I can't say if there's anything I did specifically to, to make it happen. On the flip side, having many people working on the project can lead to a diffusion of responsibility. And without someone taking the lead, like Chris and his lab mates, the project can die. Even so, some open source projects are so big and popular that large companies pay people to work on them. Remember, it's free as in freedom, not free labor. A survey published in 2013 found that about half of all contributions to open source projects were made by professionals as part of their job duties, while the other half were by volunteers in their spare time. That latter group is especially important for getting smaller projects like LabScript off the ground, since they're usually a labor of love. I had to ask Chris what motivates these passionate volunteers. So I guess the question with open source projects is someone has to work on it for free. Why do they do that? Software is fun for a lot of people. They really enjoy seeing people use their software. They they like the feeling of seeing what they made be useful, or they just really enjoy the process of problem solving. Uh, there are a series of games that I'm reminded of, uh, one of which was very influential for me with programming called Space Chem, and it's very much programming. And the same maker of that game uh, made a new game. I forget what it's called, but uh, its tagline is, is the assembly language programming game nobody asked for. But some people, some people love these games, and for them, programming is like a game. They're trying to solve problems, and it's challenging, and it's rewarding. It's uncertain whether LabScript will continue to gain a foothold in academic labs, or if its adoption has plateaued. 
many labs have existing solutions that work well for their needs, and there are other labs working on their own versions of open-source lab control software. As I've seen firsthand, Chris continues to actively maintain LabScript, and thanks to him and other contributors, the software keeps improving. He hopes to find a way to keep working on it. What's not in question is the integral role that software plays in physics research, and that the fundamental principles of the open source model, uninhibited access to knowledge and open collaboration, are familiar ideals to any scientist. I think open source software and open data and open publishing go together naturally. It seems like open source is definitely making inroads in science. People are using open source data analysis and software packages to run their experiments. And they're more likely now to publish in open access journals is something we're seeing now. People are including their data sets in their code so that people can reproduce their results. That's it for this episode. A big thanks this week to Chris Billington for sharing his excitement for working for free. Even if I'll never be able to personally relate to Chris's drive to get to coding on a Sunday morning, I'm glad there are enthusiasts like him out there, working tirelessly, staging small software mutinies in their labs, and making better tools to power science. We'll be back soon with another episode. For Relatively Certain, I'm Dina Genkinen.